life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. everyone and welcome to another episode of life after that i'm jan murray your host we want to welcome rochelle gatewood back with us today from spokane washington uh in our last episode she talked about uh, her life with her husband jason who passed away in 2018 of als amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and today we're going to talk about life after jason passed away and how rochelle has found a way to continue forward, and let's just see how we're going. Welcome, Rochelle. Thanks for joining us again today. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, at your last episode, you were talking about that you found that, uh, you know, you're not afraid of the unknown anymore. You're, you realize that what you went through, the that that you survived that was known as ALS, uh, after that experience, you've figured out that life can go on and things could be okay. Can you kind of elaborate on that and some things you've done to continue after your husband passed away? Sure. Um, yeah. So like, I guess I'll just start at the beginning and kind okay. of walk through um, some of the different things that have happened since then. So um, at the beginning, right after he passed, you know, obviously it was pretty devastating. I was in a really dark place at that point in time, having recently lost my job. So, you know, here I am now widowed, unemployed, no money. Um, we had lost our life insurance when I lost my job. So, you know, no income coming in there. So kind of unfortunately, the first thing that I had to do was just figure out how to survive like you know how to pay the bills and how to keep food on the table um which was not what i wanted to put my time and energy into that mm. early on obviously i was very exhausted and broken and i just wanted time to process. kind of process <laughs> it all yeah and start that start that healing process but i was kind of in a panic so I was really fortunate that Jason was a collector of all things that he found interesting, and he found pretty much everything to be interesting. <laughs> so I had a lot of just um, valuable tools and art supplies and musical instruments and, um, you know, music kind of paraphernalia that I was never going to use. It was all, you know, his hobbies and his passions. And so I just started selling uh, a lot of his stuff, you know, listing it on Facebook and um, Craigslist. And it was hard. It was really hard. It was super emotional knowing that that part of him was not something that I was going to be able to keep or that I was not going to be able to get rid of on my own terms. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was extremely thankful to have that as a resource because I don't know what I would have done without that. I was in no condition to be 
ready to like go back into the workforce, mm-hmm. especially knowing that I was going to have to look for, an, you know, a new job at a different company. Uh, emotionally, I just, I could not have done it at that point in time. So it was still a blessing, even though it was a challenge and it was sad and hard and not really what I wanted to do. But that actually kept me afloat for about six months, which was a good amount of time for me to also find time to do some of that processing and healing. Um, I spent a lot of that time kind of just trying different things to figure out what it was that was going to work for me. Um, So I tried grief share for a period of time. It was, I think, just a little too soon for me, though. Um, It ended up not working out, and I decided to not pursue that farther. I did meet some really great people through the stuff that I was selling or donating, because some of it also was medical supplies. Mm -hmm. So I was really fortunate to kind of build some relationships with people through that who were struggling, maybe not necessarily with the same journey that I had, but who were going through something similar enough that, you know, we could kind of share those common challenges. And that was good. And that was kind of validating and healing um, because I didn't really have any support or socialization while I was going through it. So I had felt extremely isolated that whole time. So my re-emergence back into the real world was a little bit scary. And it felt nice to have those few um, kind of people cross my path. Right. Um, And then I also took some time to just do some writing, kind of just a brain dump journal type of concept. But I turned it into a blog, not really one that I've, you know, shared or advertised, but it's out there for Mm -hmm. anyone if, if they happen to come across it. But that to me was the most healing thing that I have done um, even since then. And it's been a little over four years now. I always go back to, I think that was what really helped me let go mm-hmm. of a lot of the pain and a lot of the anger and a lot of the confusion. There was It was just very therapeutic to get those thoughts out of my head and onto paper. And then... At the same time, I did share it kind of in some Facebook groups that I was in, and it felt good to know that um, I was sharing my story from a very raw and honest and vulnerable perspective, Mm -hmm. which I think I had felt was missing from a lot of, you know, social media and whatnot, Mm -hmm. when I was going through it, I just kept thinking like, why am I the only one who's struggling? There's all these videos and blogs about people who are starting charities or who have, you know, these armies of friends who are sharing caregiving responsibilities or hosting community fundraisers. And like everyone just seemed to be winning at this mm-hmm. challenge of ALS and I was not. Mm-hmm. And that really 
added to my feelings of, you know, isolation and loneliness. And so I wanted to put something out there that was looking at it from just a real life, everyday perspective. Like, it's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you feel like you're not going to make it through to the other side of this. Not everyone has these wonderful, amazing, uplifting experiences. For some of us, it just sucks. And yep, that's the reality right. of it. Yep. So that was part of it too, just feeling... Um, you were owning feeling good about- you you owned your situation. I did, yeah. And I was really hopeful that to someone else who might be feeling the same as me, like that they were the only one struggling, mm-hmm. that maybe they would stumble upon um what I had put out there into the ether. And maybe it would help them to feel a little bit more validated in their that's my hope journey the as podcast. well. I hope this podcast does that. I hope people will share it. Uh, so that people can find it and hear all of these different stories so Mm -hmm. that those either going through it or have gone through it can truly feel like they're not alone, that there are people who understand. There are support groups you can join online if nowhere else. Um, So hearing your story, your story is very different than the ones uh, before this. So everybody's story is a little bit different. Some are similar. Um, Mm -hmm. The disease is, of course, similar in many ways, but still everybody's journey is different. And I think it's so important for this to be out there. And I I think caregivers need to hear all of this, too, so that they can understand. They need to understand, like, you know, you talked about what you went through in the last episode. I mean, they need to understand what to do and not do and what to say and not say and understand maybe you don't send somebody away with just a crap diagnosis when you know that's not it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that's what I took away from that last episode. <laughs> I'm just like, really? I mean, because we got shoved off too at the beginning and I just kept pushing. I was like, uh-uh, no, yeah. our entire livelihood has ended and uh, I need somebody to tell me what the heck's going on. <laughs> yeah, you can't just shove someone aside, you know, and be like, well, I'm sorry, you're falling apart, but we don't know what it is and we don't care to find out. Like that's yeah. just, yeah, yeah. unacceptable. So I get that. So, okay, continue with uh, with what are you were doing? You're writing. Uh, you know, I blogged for three and a half years, the first uh, three and a half years that we started our journey and I turned it into mm. a book. That's what I did with my blog. And yeah. so uh, having read your blog before this inter- uh, the last interview, um, it's just a beautiful, wonderful blog. And I think it would be so helpful for so many to read it. Oh, thank sure. you. I appreciate that. Yeah, ultimately, my goal was to keep it going. But Mm -hmm. I think once I got those initial, like surge of emotions out, Mm -hmm. then real life kind of took over. And it was like, okay, now I've got to find a job. Now I've got to, you know, like get back out there and live life. And I kind of let it slide. I have a lot of stories, um, though, from those first couple of years that maybe someday I'll go back and um, add those in. But I'll kind of talk about some of them in this so I can at least get it out there. Um, my first year was pretty amazing, uh, some of the things that happened. So um, it'll be it'll be fun to kind of share that. And I do hope that someday I have the right mindset to go back and get that recorded. Yeah, it's hard to go back. And it was, I mean, in the beginning of starting this blog, uh, this podcast, excuse me, it was hard to dive back into the world because I've really kind of separated myself from it just for survival yeah and um 
in the first year for me, I had some incredible things happen, but I was also in a fog. I still wasn't really dealing with my grief. I, I mm-hmm. think for me, I think year two is when the fog went away and I woke up and I was like, oh my God, what happened? Yeah. And who am I? And, and what am I going to do? I'm so tired of doing what I've been doing, even though it was a blessing and I loved it. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of things. Year two, I think is when I kind of, the metamorphosis happened when I truly, uh, I reinvented myself a second time since his death and kind of got on the path I'm on, that I'm on now. So, yeah. and uh, I don't want any of that to change. I don't want to go back through everything I went through and I wish I could have him back healthy, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm pretty happy with the things that are happening in my life now. So yeah, so what, it what, is pretty amazing. In um, one, year one and year two, I mean, I've heard it in multiple, from multiple people now that year one and year two, there was a big shift there. Did you experience that or no? Um, I did to a degree. Like year one, I would completely agree. And I've heard from a lot of other people too, that that is kind of the year of just being in a fog. Yeah. It doesn't really feel real. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels real, but it's like, you can't really comprehend the gravity of the whole situation. And I definitely right. experienced that. Um. Year two for me was still a struggle of a year, mostly though because of things going on with my job. So that has been the biggest issue for me since he passed. Um, I'll just kind of briefly walk through my work journey because it's been quite the journey. Um, So it was about April... 2019 so about six months after he passed I kind of run out of stuff to sell and so I knew I needed to go find a job and I also kind of felt like that was the right time for me to make a career shift Uh I'd kind of been contemplating that for a few years but obviously with everything that we were going through the timing just wasn't right so now that I, it's like, I couldn't just take the easy route and keep doing the job that I had already been doing. So I was like, if I have to find a new job anyways, I might as well pursue this career shift that I had been wanting to. So I got out there and kind of figured out exactly what it was that I wanted to do and started looking for jobs. And relatively quickly, I found one with this amazing company. I could not have dreamt up or wished for a better place to land um, with as my first job, you know, right after losing Jason. It was so supportive and validating and uplifting. Everyone there was just amazing. And my boss also kind of understood what I had gone through because he had actually lost a family member to ALS as well. So it just felt like this perfect fit for where I was. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me survive that first year. But then in year two, that's when COVID hit. Mm. And so my life kind of just blew up yet again. This amazing job that I was 100% convinced I was going to just stay there for the rest of my life, unfortunately didn't survive COVID. They were in Mm. the hospitality industry. Mm. So they unfortunately went out of business rather quickly. And that kind of initiated for me year two, just 
being a challenging year as well. I was really mourning now the loss of this job and all of the amazing people that I had met there and the stability that I had thought I had found. Right. And so I was in this spot where, again, it's like, okay, now, you know, get out there, put yourself out there, resumes, interviews, find another job, which I did, but it kind of turned out to be a pretty toxic environment. So I didn't stay there very long. I was there for, I think, eight months Mm -hmm. and then left of my own um, decision because it just was too much for me. Like Mm -hmm. emotionally, it was really taking a toll on me. So I left there found another organization that I was really happy with. Um, It's kind of a small tech world. I work in tech and it's kind of a small industry where I live. So the next job that I had found, a lot of people from that first job were working at that company as well. So it kind of felt like coming home. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite people I was working with again, and I was like, yes, this is going to be it. This Mm -hmm. is finally going to be where I'm going to stay forever. But I was only there for about a year and a half and Mm -hmm. then got laid off from that job as well. So now I'm on job number four in the last four years. Um, So that has been... A huge challenge for me. It's made it harder for me, I think, to be able to process the grief and trauma in the Mm -hmm. way that I need to, because I haven't had a long enough period in my life where things have just been good and stable. Mm -hmm. I feel like every time I get close, my life kind of blows up again. And it's like, I have to take care of the immediate need of a job and you know financial stability before I can have that freedom to do the work of processing you know that whole situation so unfortunately even four years after losing Jason I still have a lot of that kind of buried within me mm-hmm. um And I recently started seeing a therapist to try to start digging into it and start processing it. Um, But again, with the job situation, it's just, it's been hard. Um, So yeah, the last four years, I would have to say I'm still not in that place where I feel like my life is what I want it to be. Like, it's a good life. Um... And I'm thankful for a lot of aspects of it. Like I'm thankful for who I've become as a person. I'm thankful for how it's impacted my view of the world and, you know, my view of people, my view of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. But as far as just the day-to-day life, I don't feel like that piece of it um, has really come together for me yet. Well... And that's understandable. I mean, uh, I have left my full-time job, I guess, let's see, one, two, about three and a half months before uh, Bill passed away because I knew we were headed down that road. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a news reporter at the time. You know, I was working a lot of hours. And even though I was in the same community, because he was in the nursing home the last couple of years of his life. 
Mm. He uh, he held on 210 pounds. I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore at home. Yeah. And uh, my health was terribly affected as well. So once he went there, which actually was a good move, we had an amazing facility that, uh, and he was a very happy, joyful, active man. And that was a very happy, joyful place, believe it or not. Oh, that's awesome. You were I, very fortunate to have yeah, that. Yeah, just, you know, to even call it a nursing home sounds horrible, but it, um, it really, they just did a great job. I'm still friends with a great many of the the uh, uh, nursing assistants and nurses there. They're still in my life. I mean, they were just really good to my husband. There was, there, it wasn't perfect. There were times, but at the most part, they did a great job and he was happy. He had a life. He uh, we were actually under hospice for seven years. They stayed with us wow. the whole time. And even when he went there, so uh, his care was really good. So it allowed me once he was there, after I rested a little bit, I went back to work. And uh, but then when I saw I knew I was like, nope, I'm not going to have him much longer. I can't be doing this where I'm living mm. 30 because I, I lived where I live now, which is 35 miles from there. And I thought I'm working so many hours. I'm not seeing him every day the way he needs me to, the way I need to. And yeah, so I decided to let go of that job, which meant I would get part of his social security again, instead of all of it going to the facility. And mm. I knew, I knew it was a risky move, but I really needed to be with my husband. So, um, but when he died, not even four months later, it wasn't even three and a half months later. Um, my position had already been filled. And, mm. uh, I didn't really want to move. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And so around that time, all these ads started popping up on social media about, uh, all these Chinese companies needing online ESL teachers. And I'm thinking I've never done it before, but I can learn <laughs> any, I can learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so within a month of probably within five to six weeks of him passing, I had, watched a million hours of youtube videos from teachers who were already doing that and interviewing online for those top jobs and i got hired and so i was immediately i had to immediately change who i was a news reporter i became an online esl teacher very quickly yeah that's a big difference yeah and uh but i did that for like two years and uh but i worked seven days a week and i taught between 3 a.m and 8 a.m so it was a oh rough- wow rough schedule. Uh, I also took on private clients from that country where they wanted me to teach additional hours. So I, they paid me through PayPal and I taught them, uh, taught their kids that way. And I worked for another uh, teaching company that was there. I think they were based out of Israel at that time, but most of their students were American students like homeschool or uh, school charter schools, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I actually started teaching, uh, paragraph writing and geography and journalism through them. So I did that for a little bit, but then I decided I was really tired of the crazy hours and I actually went to work for my sister and her husband at their company, just in reception. It was a great bridge job for me. I loved working with my sister. It wasn't using my education or my abilities or anything, but it was giving me a chance to breathe Mm -hmm. and have a normal sleeping schedule. And uh, eventually I wound up at the university, uh, which is where I live, and as an academic advisor and found that I truly love that job. And so I did go to work for the, for the university. And eventually last February, I changed to a different position on campus, but still doing advising, but I also teach mm. uh, on campus as well. So I've kind of changed four or five times too. 
<laughs> yeah, you've had the, quite the journey as well, it sounds yeah. like. So there's been pockets of time, um, I guess, when I've had to go back and reprocess things. And it may be why here I am five and a half years out where I'm just now getting where I can talk about it mm -hmm. without without losing it. And I still have days I can get real sad, but I usually just kick myself in the tail and get up and make myself... <laughs> You know, you can't do this, get out of the house, go yeah. do something. And uh, even during the pandemic, when I was having to work from home, I hated working from home. I, I, needed, mm -hmm. I needed to be around people. So I would take my uh, laptop and my phone, my phone became my mobile hotspot. And I went out to, I call it the county lake, the little lake that the county maintains, you know, mm -hmm. I went out there and, and I sat on their picnic tables with my hotspot and I worked out there, out in nature, nice. went to a nearby island. Well, it's probably about an hour away. It's where the movie Big Fish was filmed way back when. Oh, and cool. Yeah. Part of the movie set's still there. And on that little island, there's goats everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was in heaven and I would, I would put my hotspot on. I would sit in the little porch swings they had all over that island and look at the water and look and play with the goats and I did my work I mean I found that the worst nice. thing for me to do is sit in this house I, I can't stay here I yeah. have to get out so yeah that's I've, what I did yeah I found that as well like when COVID hit it was really hard for me it was too reminiscent of the isolation I felt mm -hmm. when I had to be here day in and day out doing mm -hmm. the caregiving yes and yeah it definitely like mentally and emotionally kind of took me back into that place yes and yeah I learned very quickly that uh yeah full remote work from home is not something that I can do at least not at this point no I couldn't I can't stand the thought I mean for the next two weeks I'm doing that but we don't really we don't do a whole lot of work during this two weeks we're pretty much closed down for the holidays but mm. you know I'll sign in and maybe answer an email here and there but um I, I still can't stay home. I don't know that I'll ever get where I can just be home. Yeah. And uh, Bill had a lot of trouble with his eyes and light really hurt his eyes. So for, for those three and a half years, he was home. And even the, even the time he was in the nursing home, we never got to have lamps or lights on because it made his eyes mm. hurt. Mm -hmm. So it was darkness. So one of the first things I did when he did go to the nursing home was I got lamps and plugged them in and turned lights on and like right now, all these lights are on in my ceiling. <laughs> I, I don't know that I will ever get where I can tolerate being alone and closed off from other people or having no light in my house. I don't know that I'll yeah. ever get back to that. Yeah, it's so interesting how just some of those experiences kind of just permeate you very deeply and even if you think it's not going to impact you that way like I didn't think working from home would impact me that way but I knew immediately almost immediately that what I was feeling was basically that same loneliness and despair that I had felt during caregiving and it was just like wow all it took was a few days even of just working from home and I'm just right back there and I yeah. I totally did not expect that that would happen I thought by that point in time I had processed enough that I would kind of be over having those types of reactions but yep there are just I, certain things that just stay with you well we have PTSD I, I swear I believe all of us ALS caregivers mm -hmm. we all have post-traumatic stress disorder in some form 
because I think so too. Yeah. Because we drown in so much when we're battling that mess and we're not taking care of ourselves because we don't have time to take care of ourselves. We're busy taking care of them. But, and you know, I don't know. It, you don't think it's going to get you, but it does. It. I've yet. I've maybe have talked to one that hasn't really talked, didn't really talk much about having that kind of reaction these days. But hmm. uh, it's definitely more common than not that we all have triggers. Yeah. That, that kind of send us back. Yeah, I think so too. I never had like very many triggering experiences like right after it was hard to do things like go to the grocery store Mm because that was something we always did together Mm -hmm. and I found that I couldn't really go to the grocery store without crying but for me those situations were kind of few and far between and I also kind of tried to mentally prepare myself Mm -hmm. when I was going into situations that I thought might be triggering and I think by doing that I kind of kept them from being triggering because I was Mm -hmm. aware beforehand but yeah that one of working from home uh I didn't even consider that it might be triggering so it completely caught me off guard what would you um because we're going to come to the end here in a second what what out of your experiences would you want someone who either is going through it has already lost their loved one or they are listening and they know someone who's going through or has been going through it. What would you say to them as a former caregiver? What would you say to any of them about getting through it all or supporting someone who's going through it? Oh boy. That's a big one. I know (laughs) it is a big one. It's hard to narrow down. I think for me, if I had to narrow it down, I would say, Make sure to prioritize your relationship, which I talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. That for me was my sanity. And I don't, I really don't think I would have made it through had we not put such an effort into maintaining that husband wife relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I would also say, don't, uh, Don't sell yourself short because I honestly think that as hard as it is and everyone's probably going to go through these periods of feeling like I literally can't do this, but Mm -hmm. you can. And it just takes that mindset of every day choosing to wake up and choosing to do what you can you know, don't get down on yourself, but just know that you will make it through and that there is a life after. And I felt like the most unprepared person in the world to go through this kind of situation. Even as a child, it was my literal worst nightmare. Like I couldn't comprehend going through this type of situation and as a four and five-year-old I would dream about how that would just be the end the end of everything like it would just do me in so if anyone can you know if can make it through even the most unprepared of us (laughs) who feels like we have (laughs) no idea what we're doing like you can do it just just take it a day at a time and you'll be surprised at how much you can actually handle. 
I agree with that. And it is hard to take it a day at a time. And it is hard to keep a focus on that relationship. I would say that as good of a marriage as we had, ALS really took a really hard knock on us. And uh, mm. we, uh, but we, but we still, we were together. The love never went away. I mean, we had some anger, times of anger, you know, mm-hmm. at just the whole situation. But for the most part, my guy was a super happy, funny guy. And even when he couldn't talk, he found ways to give you a certain look to make you burst out laughing. I mean, yeah. he, he was just happy. And those who took care of him, even after me, the ones in the nursing home, you know, they'll tell me on Facebook from time to time how much he blessed their lives and how he was mm. such a great guy. His nickname was MacGyver because he would spell out on his little chart things for them to do to his wheelchair that was falling apart. You know, we're going <laughs> to, you know, fix it. We need some duct duct tape, zip ties, yep. and pool noodles. That was him. <laughs> I mean, everything could be fixed with duct tape, zip ties, and pool noodles. And I kid you not, his chair was covered in those three things (laughs) that actually reminds me a lot of my husband because he was that same kind of person you know like a tinkerer and an inventor and it was in the midst of it I didn't see it or appreciate it but looking back it was actually quite fun how creative you get to be and thinking up like weird solutions to problems that you would have never imagined you would have that's absolutely correct and he did as well and I I missed that part for sure but yeah Yeah. and his thing and I've said I think this in all the episodes Bill's mantra was keep on keeping on and he would spell out no matter what keep on keeping on you know what good is it going to do to you to be sad or to be mad you have to just keep on keeping on and so I think in year two that's when I finally said okay this man had it together in his head one way or the other he was going to live and he did and mm. how dare i dishonor him by throwing my life away because i honestly didn't care if i lived or died that first year and yeah uh, i definitely a, went through that as well yeah and it, and i went through a medical emergency that kind of woke me up and then that's when i started to say don't you dare throw this life away after what that man went through and tried to Mm -hmm. live and that's where I kind of turned myself around uh so I have to give him credit so I tell people all the time you have to find some strength to just keep on keeping on I can't thank you enough Rochelle for joining us for two episodes and sharing your story and your memories of your husband and also sharing how you've continued on and hopefully this can all be helpful for uh, anyone else who's listening Um, and I will invite anyone listening to come back and join us again in two weeks we have another family coming up and we'd love to have you here at life after that Mm